Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Love is patient. Are you patient with your mate? Love is kind. Are you kind to your mate? Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Does not take into account wrongs suffered. Do you love like this in your marriage? The truth is the next part of your marriage can be the best part. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins a message called Thou Shalt Date Thy Mate, and he gives a little advice for how you and your spouse can grow even deeper in love. Stay with us. The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young begins in just a moment. Now here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Thou Shalt Date Thy Mate. Read any survey that you want to read. Check any poll from Gallup to any other that you want to check. And you're going to discover one thing. Ask the average American what happiness is all about, what their number one goal in life is, and they will answer in a vast majority, my number one goal in life is to have a happy marriage. That's right. Go to a student in high school, go to someone out in the professional world, go to someone single, go to someone married, go to someone who is married and divorced, go to someone who's never been married. You ask them the question, what's your primary goal in life? And they will ask with Really, few exceptions, I want to have a happy marriage. Now, the question is, how do we get from where we are to that desire to have a happy marriage? Many times we look around and say, you know, I'm married, but I can't say I'm really happy. And then we move into the if-onlys. You familiar with the if-onlys? We say, you know, if only I had married Bill instead of Bob, you know, I'd have a happy marriage. Or we say, if only, you know, we had more income coming in, then, you know, we would have a happy marriage. Uh, or if only I, I lived somewhere else, you know, it, it's hot in, in Houston, I wish I lived somewhere. If only, you know, we didn't live here. If, if only I had listened to my mother, you know. If only, you know, we had boys instead of girls, or girls instead of boys. Uh, if only uh, we had a different house, or we, we had a, another car, or if only, it's always out there, the if onlys, and if these onlys would come true, then we would have a happy marriage, if only. Let me say something to you. A happy marriage is the result of hard work. A happy marriage is a result of hard work. You're not lucky when you have a happy marriage. I hate people who say that. 
Well, one of my pet peeves is go to a wedding reception. Everybody says, we wish you, you kids a lot of luck. <laughs> Don't say that anymore. <laughs> a happy marriage has nothing whatsoever to do with luck. Or you say, it sure was lucky you found her. That's not luck. A happy marriage is a result of hard work. Somebody might say, well, if only my marriage had had a better beginning. Now, we've already studied a marriage as we've looked at the Ten Commandments of marriage of one that had a terrible beginning. Do you remember? But it had a terrific ending. So sometimes a marriage can have a terrible beginning, most illogical beginning. You know, uh, she's pregnant. Uh, we don't have any income. We just met each other. Uh, uh, we, we just got married on a whim. Or we both were intoxicated. Or, or you know, I, I met her at, at, at a bar. I mean, it had terrible beginnings. But a lot of times those marriages have terrific endings. Now, it's not to belittle the importance of a beginning because you start with a couple strikes against you when you get married and you're unequally yoked together because you're against the very precepts of God. But put all that to one side. We looked at a marriage that had a terrific beginning, but it had a terrible ending. And today we're going to look at a marriage that had a fabulous beginning, but a frustrating ending. So a good beginning isn't the whole story. Because we're going to look at the marriage of a man by the name of Isaac and his wife by the name of Rachel. Now, if ever a marriage started off right, you would say this was a marriage made in heaven. Isaac was the son of a wealthy father, Abraham. He was 40 years old before he got married, and, and that seems to be late today. It is very late in that day because generally they got married very, very young. In fact, in America today, the, the average age of females who get married now is something like 26 or 27 males. It's like 29 to 30. In our church, we have some 200 weddings a year. The, the average age of those who get married is much, much older. I would say for females, it's about 29 or 30. I'm not sure. For males, it may be 34 or 35. Our young people are getting married older today than ever. And, and I, I think it's good. When I was coming along, if you weren't married at 21, you know, something was wrong with you. <laughs> but that was another generation. But here we have Isaac where marriages took place very young. He is 40 years old and he is unmarried. You say, why? Because he lived in an area where there were pagan families. And there was not a lot to choose from of young girls, young women who had the same faith that he did. But after his mother died, his father Abraham took it upon himself and said, I will find a mate for you, which was customary in that day. And so Abraham sent his faithful servant and, and took that, uh, that oath in which he put his hand on his thigh and said, let God lead you to the woman for my son Isaac. And so the servant went out and you know the story of Rebecca and the camels and, and the wonderful negotiation that took place and Rebecca was of the same faith, the same family, the same general background as was Isaac. And so the servant did all the negotiations that would take place. And finally, we see the servant is taking back Rebecca to meet Isaac for the first time. 
And now we pick up the scripture. We see what Isaac was doing as he had been waiting perhaps for many, many months, maybe for a year or so, for the servant to come back with his bride. And, and this is what he was doing. Is this not a beautiful love story? Genesis chapter number 24, verse 63. Now, I see the picture. Here's a servant. He had gone out under the commission of Abraham. The hand of God was there upon them looking for a bride, and he had found this beautiful girl, Rebecca, who had all the charms, and she was a shepherdess. She, she came from the right family. I mean, she was everything you'd want in a bride. And here he is coming back, and this is a picture when Isaac sees her for the first time. Verse 63, Genesis 24. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Camels were coming, and Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel, and she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. In other words, this, this is the one, that's Isaac. That's the one I brought you home to. And then she took her veil and covered herself. That's where we get veils in weddings, ladies and gentlemen, right there. That's where you get the veil. And so Rebecca covered herself. Verse 66, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into her, his mother Sarah's tent. Sarah had just died. And he took Rebecca. And she became his wife, and he loved her. If you have a romantic bone in your body, that is a story. I mean, the right person, the right place, the right way, they were in prayer, they, they were in unity, and, and they had waited, and it was that moment, and they became husband and wife, and it says, and Isaac loved her. Isn't that just, <laughs> that's love at first sight. That's prayer. That's planning. That's everything's right. That's an equal yoke. But don't turn there. This is chapter 24. By chapter 27, they'd been married for a while. They'd had children. And we see in chapter 27, they were, they were living together, but they were separated. There was duplicity. There was competition. There was antagonism. There was tension. There was anger. There was a lack of trust. And that happened in three chapters <laughs> to a marriage that was made in heaven. So we have to ask the question, what happened? Here's a marriage with a, a good beginning and a terrible ending. Here's a marriage with a tragic beginning and, and, and it has a great ending. What is the difference? What happens to us? I think as we move from stage one to stage two, sometimes we get locked into stage two of marriage and we never get to stage three. You say, well, what in the world are you talking about? I don't know about stage one, stage two, stage three. Stage one is the honeymoon stage. 
It is the Moonlight and Roses stage. Now, take your Bibles. Open them with me to the Song of Solomon. I'm going to read that whole verse, that whole book out to you, so you might as well go ahead and read it. The Song of Solomon. This is the story of the honeymoon stage, the Song of Songs. Solomon married this beautiful bride. And every chapter here is filled with romance and romantic language. It is magnificent. This is the honeymoon stage. And all you can say about the honeymoon stage, it is exciting. It is breathtaking. It is thrilling. It is just unbelievable. And look at the vocabulary here in this. Look at the intensity you find between the bride and the groom. Look at chapter 2, Song of Songs. This is Solomon talking about his wife. Now, now guys, pick up a little bit of this verbiage. It would help you. He says... She is like a lily among the thorns. So is my darling among the maidens. Is that guy a, a silver-toned devil or what? I want you to know. And look at how she responds, his bride. says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. See, comparing you know, her to all the other women. Everybody else is a thorn, and boy, she is just fabulous. And, and he is an apple tree. Everybody else are just, you know, scrub brushes around there. Uh, so is my beloved. In, the, in his shade, I took great delight and sat down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. And he has brought me to his banquet hall, and the banner over me is love. He's saying, man, I can't get over this woman. He is smitten. He is zapped. He is wiped out. He, he can't see anybody else. It is wonderful. It is fabulous. It's the honeymoon stage. And even, even gets more intense. Look down in verse 8. This is the bride talking about Solomon. She says, listen, my beloved. Behold, he is coming, climbing on the mountains, Leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he is standing behind our wall. He is looking through the windows. He is peering through the lattice. Man, here he's coming home from work and he just gets out of the car. He throws his coat down. He is running as fast as he can to the house and he's taking his shirt off and he looks it through the window and he knocks and he says, I love you. And he makes a sign, a gesture, and he runs inside. I mean, he's so excited. He's like a young gazelle. Man, this is a honeymoon stage. Man, can Solomon put it down? I want you to know. Look at the intensity that's involved here. Now, look at the idealism in the honeymoon stage. Look at uh, verse, chapter number four over there in, in Song of Songs. It says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'd use that line. You'd better upgrade that just a little bit if you want to make any, any brownie points. But evidently, that was something. He says, your teeth are like a flock of newly shown ewes which have come up from their washing. She just brushed her teeth is all I can figure. <laughs> all of which bear twins, and not one among them lost her young in other words, she had all of her teeth 
and, and, and boy, he is so thrilled uh, about that. Your mouth is lovely and your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David built on the rolls of stone on which are hung a thousand shields and the round shields of mighty men. I'll not read it. It gets a little too intimate to read this in church, I want you to know. You'll have to read the other verses there. He is describing her. And th there is an idealism there. I mean, it is a perfection there he sees in her. Look at verse number seven. You are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there is no blemish in you. He has married the perfect woman. And this is true in the honeymoon stage. I mean, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with her. Nothing she could do is wrong. She is perfection itself. And then I want you to look at the intimacy there. Look at verse nine. You have made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You have made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes, with a single strand of your necklace. And look at verse 15 of that uh, full chapter. You are a garden spring, a well of fresh water and streams flowing from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, wind of the south. Make my garden breathe out fragrance. Let its spices be wafted abroad. May my beloved come into his garden and eat of its choice fruits. If that isn't intimacy. Now, if, if some of you teenagers here, you think the Bible is not relevant. Man, you, you're, I, I, you look back when you were coming up and you find a wonderful verse like this and you're sitting in church with your girl and you, and you say, let's find a Bible verse that we could claim, you know. You know, would you like to claim a verse? And she says, oh, yes, that would be so wonderful. Let's claim a verse. We'll just take her over to the eighth chapter and look at the latter part of the first verse. It says, if I found you outdoors, I would kiss you. <laughs> then let's claim that verse. That's a good verse for a dating couple. Is it? We get real bold. What are we seeing here? We are seeing in the Song of Songs, the word of Solomon, a picture of of the honeymoon stage of marriage, are we not? I mean, it is violins, it is candlelight, it is excitement, it is wonderful just to hold hands, just to touch, just to be together, to make love to one another. That's the honeymoon stage of marriage. But there is a second stage. And here we have the same guy, Solomon, the same guy writing and look what happens after he'd been married for a while. Turn to Proverbs. Chapter number 27, verse number 15. This is the same Solomon writing about marriage, and this is what he says. Proverbs 27, 15. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. <laughs> He who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. What's he saying? He's saying, my wife, she just nags and nags and nags. It's like the dripping on the roof of a rain. It just drip, 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 drip. And said trying to restrain her is like trying to hold back the north wind. It's blowing. You can't hold back the wind. He said trying to control her is like trying to take a hold of, of oil that's being poured out of a vat. You just grab the oil and it slips through your fingers. You can't, you can't explain it. You can't get a hold of it. Wouldn't you say the party is over? 
That's the second stage of marriage. The party is over stage. There's the honeymoon stage. It may last for different periods of time. The party is over stage. You may move from stage two back in the honeymoon stage briefly, then right back into stage two. And let me tell you about stage two. If you live in stage two, one of two things will take place. Divorce or depression. Divorce or depression. Boredom sets in. Monotony sets in. Bitterness sets in. Pouting sets in. Indifference sets in. Lack of consideration sets in. And finally, you either break up or you break out. Or you just say, we're going to just, we're going to just hang in here. And I, we're just going to see it through to the end. And, and you, know, maybe, you know, maybe something will happen. And, and maybe he'll fall off a cliff or, you know, or something will happen here. Or she will, you know, go home to mama or anything. I'm, and that is the reason, ladies and gentlemen, the average length of a marriage in America is 7.2 years. because they get caught into stage two. And the, and the honeymoon stage, the ideal, idealism, the, the intensity, and all of that leads to ignorance, and then they get into Proverbs right here, and they say, boy, it's the dripping, it's the nagging, and he is this, and he is that, and she is that, and she is this, and they get caught here, and they end up in depression or divorce, the two deadly deeds of marriage. But they need to go to stage three. And stage three I call the best is yet to be stage. You know, Browning's word, grow old along with me, the best is yet to be the last of life for which the first was made. This was quoted at the wedding that Joe Beth and I had about 41 years ago this summer. And that's the grow old along with me stage. Some never get in that stage. Some never get in the stage where the best is yet to be. Do you look at your marriage right now and say, I want you to know the best is yet to be? You know, that's the posture we must have. The best is yet to be. You know, how, how do you, what, what is the characteristic of this stage? Look again, if you would, at Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13. There's certain passages of the Bible we ought to really get down pat. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do these words describing love characterize your marriage? Does this describe you? Does it describe you in your marriage? If not, you've got some work to do because a happy marriage is a result of hard... Okay. Now, here's some of these words. Look at again, verse 4. Love is patient. Are you patient with your mate, your partner? Patient. Love is kind. Are you kind to your mate, to your partner? Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Does not take into account wrongs suffered. Do you love like this in your marriage? You see, what we're reaching for is mature love. 
The best is yet to be love. That's stage three. And that has the chemistry, that has the promise, that has the oneness, that has the agendas that move together, that has the joy, that has the laughter, that has the high points and the low points because you're moving together and you're beginning to develop a mature love. Take the word mature and we can make an acrostic out of it. Mature, you're motivated. Are you motivated in your marriage? You have to be motivated. Remember it takes hard work. You don't work hard unless you're motivated to work hard. You have to be motivated. Some need to be motivated again. And the A would be attentive. We talked about that before. Are you attentive to your mate? I never cease to be astounded when a, a wife will leave or a husband will leave or there'll be an explosion and the other one will say, I'm just shocked. I can't imagine this. I had no warning at all. If that was true, you weren't paying attention. I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong. I'm saying you have to be attentive to your mate. And the T would stand for tender. You have to be tender with your mate. You say, well, I'm married this big old galook. I mean, he doesn't want me to be tender. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He needs tenderness more than you could ever dream of. Somebody sensitive and tender and, and delicate uh, with their psyche, with their problems, with, with great moments, with low moments. There needs to be tenderness there. Be tender with your mate. And the you would be understanding. Do you work at understanding your mate? Men and women are different. I've said that over and over again. So it has to be understanding. You have to listen for signs. You have to study. You have to understand where they are at this moment, what they're going through, how they're thinking, what their MO is, how they operate, how they move, what their schedule is. Are you understanding to your mate? And the R would be for respect. Does your mate know you genuinely respect them. You almost could say reverence if you use the language of the King James and Ephesians 5. You reverence them. You respect them. You respect your wife. You respect your husband for what they are and who they are. And E would be the word excitement. Mature love is an exciting love. It's a growing experience. You see, love is not a, a noun. Oh, it can be. I fell in love. Love is a verb. It's a choice you make. You, you choose to love. You don't say, well, I don't feel I'm in love anymore or my love has died. Oh, no, love is a choice that you make. I choose to love. That, that is what I do. Therefore, love is a verb. And what we're building here is mature love. And sometimes the chemistry and the sexual intimacy leaves a marriage. And so many times it is because there is not spiritual intimacy. There is not social intimacy. There is not psychological intimacy. And therefore the physical intimacy tends to be put to one side. But that's not the way it should be if there is mature love. And mature can be defined, I think, by the acrostic that we have looked at. Mature love. 
and you understand and you're tender and you're respectful and, and you're motivated and you're, you pay attention and there's an excitement there in the relationship. That's mature love. Charlie and Mary both worked. They both had full-time jobs. But Charlie was brought up in an atmosphere where he was taught that a real man, being he was a male chauvinist, doesn't work in the home. A real man doesn't do homework. I mean, I work and she works, but I don't do homework. But then he was surprised his wife. One day she came home from work and discovered that he had been there and he cleaned up the house. He had got all the clothes. He, he, was, he was washing part of them. He was drying the rest of them. He had already put dinner in the oven and was preparing the evening meal. He, he had got the kids all cleaned up and they were ready to eat. And it was, she was just shocked at all this he'd done when he arrived home. And, and she said, you know, uh, he couldn't figure it out. What had happened that she didn't know? Charlie had read in a magazine that the reason women are not romantically inclined when they have full-time jobs and do housework is because they are tired. <laughs> and so he thought he would just come home and, and do all those things, and he did. And, and so the next day she went to work and she told all of her co-workers about it. She said, let me tell you what, what he did. He did it, he did it, he did it, all this thing. And they said, then what happened? She said, oh, it was wonderful. Said it was a wonderful meal. So we got through it. He wouldn't let me do the dishes. He cleaned the kitchen. Said he even went and helped the kids with their homework. He went and got all the clothes out of the washer and dryer and folded them and put them up. And they said, well, then what happened? What happened? She said, well, really nothing. You see, Charlie was too tired. <laughs> You see, you begin to understand the agenda of the wife and the agenda of the husband. Maybe you'll be able to pray a prayer that goes like this. I read this. Thank you, O Creator, for the gift of sex to enrich human life. I rejoice in the wonder of a husband and a wife, in the laughter of lovers, in the fragility of puppy love, in the excitement of one flesh. Teach me to celebrate the beauty of bodies, the warmth of holding hands, the sweetness of Valentine's kisses, the joyfulness of sex. Spare me from the antibodies who are ashamed of themselves and your creation. Waken me to the goodness of my body and help me to cherish my body as your sacred gift. Melt the stiffness of my soul and do not let me be ashamed of passion. Help me to see that I can be sensual and pure, happy and holy, sexual and spiritual. I affirm your creation, O God. The seeds sprang forth, the trees growing leaves, flowers blooming, babies filling out, babies being born. Remind me of the biblical truth, O Creator, that sex comes from you and not from the devil, no matter what the prudes may say. Make me lighthearted, O God. Help me to be sensual but not sinful. Let me laugh and sing and be silly. Keep my desires rich and real and do not let my nerves go dead and my feelings get jaded. Help me to celebrate sex as a good part of your creation. Teach me to say 
thank you, Lord, for physical intimacy. See, this is the third stage. The best is yet to be with mature love, 1 Corinthians 13 style. But a lot of folks, a lot of folks miss it and they get called in stage two. The party is over stage. Now, the million-dollar question is not one that Regis is going to ask you. The million-dollar question is this. How do you move out of stage two? The party is over stage. The blahs, depression, or divorce. Into stage three. The best is yet to be. How do you do that? Take your Bibles. Look at the book of James. All the principles are there, clear as a bell. James, what do you do? Now, remember the question. How do you move from the blahs into the best is yet to be? Mature love. This is what you do. Look at them. First of all, look at James chapter number three, verse number nine. He's talking about the tongue. It says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. The first thing you do to move out of step two into step three is to speak up. Speak a word of blessing to your partner. Speak a word of blessing to my partner. That's exactly right. The word blessing comes from two Greek words. It means will, will. It means well as well and also means word. You speak a willing word, a well word, a healing word to your partner. In other words, you, you bless your partner. You compliment your partner. You praise your partner. You speak up. Now, let me meddle a little bit. It is so easy for a husband and wife to get into a cynical mode that, that you belittle one another with other couples. You cut one another down in, in, under the auspices of laughter. And you have all these little one-liners about how, what, somebody, what somebody says, how they talk, what they look, what they do, what they didn't do, how, how they spend too much, eat too much, they, they want this, they want that, they can't be pleased. And you turn that into a humorous, ongoing kind of road show. Now, let me tell you, we've all been guilty of that somewhat, but I'm going to tell you, cut it out. Shut it down. I have known some couples and been with them socially for years, and I have never heard the husband and the wife say a loving, affirming, praising, edifying, building up word to one another. Not in many, many years, and that is a tragic thing. Oh, they say, well, it doesn't bother me. They just laugh, but I'm telling you, it gets old and it gets sick. Cut it out. Speak a word of blessing. Now, remind you, this is just for those who want to move out of stage 
two, the blahs, into stage three, mature love. If you don't want to do that, you just blah your way on through. Speak a blessing to your mate, about your mate. Be complimentary with others and by themselves. Speak a blessing. Put the benediction upon them. That will change many, many marriages. And a lot of people are going to totally change the way you relate to your mate with other couples. You think the, the cute, the smart, the one-line thing is to cut down, put down, uh, you know, jab. Let me tell you something. You know how to bury a marriage. You just keep taking digs. That'll bury a marriage. Just little digs. That'll bury a marriage. And we all can be caught up in this so easily. Cut it out. You can have a dig at your mate after you've had a hundred words of blessing, no less, because most of us are far behind. Speak up. Don't get humor at their expense. Speak a word of blessing. And look at the next thing you do. Take, take, take the book of James, turn over to chapter number, number uh, five here and look at the very familiar verse 16. And this, I would say to this, open up, open up. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. In other words, you open up, you confess. A lot of marriages would get on the right track if a man or woman would not say, well, I know you've been wrong and I've been wrong. Hey, just deal with number one. You've got enough there. Don't worry about, oh, you've been wrong, I've been wrong. You just confess and say, you know, I haven't been as attentive. I, I haven't listened as I should. And I want you to know, and you just deal with yourself. Don't worry about them. And this is opening up. You confess and then you pray. Healing what happened if, if husband and wife would simply just pray together. It's amazing what happens when we pray. It's amazing our communication open. It's amazing what God Almighty not only will do, but wants to do, but we don't let him because we do not confess and we do not pray. Open up, open up. And then look back in James again and look at uh, chapter number four. This is give up. <laughs> look at verse two. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder and you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask from wrong motives. And what does this say to us? It says that we're to give up. Give up trying to fix blame. You know, the, 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 the reason he is, the child is like this is because of you. You know, uh, give up trying to shame. You, you just have to give up trying to change your mate. You know, in a wedding, you come down the aisle and then there's the altar and then you sing a hymn and some people go through their whole married life, I'll alter him. <laughs> a little quick for some. <laughs> Give up trying to change your mate. Accept them the way they are. Give it up blame. Give up trying to change. You can't change anybody but yourself and you really can't change yourself except you turn yourself over to God Almighty. He can change you. He's in the changing business. So give up. And look at the last thing we do. Look at verse, uh, chapter number three, verse 13. You'd guess this one. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good, 
by good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. What does this say? We are to be wise and we are to be understanding. We are to grow up. Oh, yeah, grow up. Grow up. Speak up. Open up. Give up. Grow up. Now, if you don't want to do these things, you just spend all of your marriage life in stage two. That's your choice. Just stay in stage two. The party's over. The doldrums. Death, but you're still breathing. The chemistry's gone. But if you want to move to stage three, the best is yet to be. Just follow these basic biblical principles. Because you know what can happen? God can bring back the springtime in your marriage. God can bring back the springtime in your marriage. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. We hope today's message has encouraged you to build your life on the proven truth of God's Word. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.